Well, we want to welcome, as always in the first service, uh, those that are listening live by way of WSTL. We're glad that you've joined us for the preaching of the Word today. And so before we get into the Word, let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Again, we thank you, Lord, that as we look back on this 9-11 and remember 15 years ago, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Father, more and more, I just see in my own life, in my own walk with you, especially through this journey I'm on now, your, your amazing faithfulness, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. I believe when we get into heaven, Lord, we're, you're going to show us back how faithful you were at times when we had no idea you were there. You were the reason we got through situations, not because of our own strength, not because of our own resources, but it was you. Help us to learn to be more and more, more, and more thankful and more and more aware of your faithfulness because great is your faithfulness. And you are faithful to your word, Lord. You watch over your word to perform it. This is your promise to us. This is how you've chosen to reveal yourself to us. And we thank you for this word as we open it today. We're trusting that the Spirit of God, whom you've also given to us, to reveal those things that our eyes have not seen, that our ears have not heard, that have not entered to our heart. All that you prepared for those who love you, your Spirit's been given to us to show us the deep things of your heart towards us. And so we call upon the Holy Spirit to do that this morning. Holy Spirit, you know what each one of us needs to hear today. This word is a seed to be deposited in our hearts. It's a seed to be watered as we hear the word again and again and again. And we pray and trust you for this process to happen as, what, as each one of us needs it. I ask you for the strength, Father, today that you would quicken my mortal body, that my mortal body would be here as a vessel to allow you to use this to minister your grace and your love and your word today. And I surrender my heart, my mind, and my lips, Lord, to allow you to speak through me only that which you would have to share. And for that we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And amen. Praise God. Well, I appreciate uh, last Sunday, Anita and I got away for a couple of days. I did not have any treatments on Monday, so we took the weekend off, and it was a very wonderful time to be away. And Pastor Kurt ministered to you very effectively, I know. I heard some good reports, and we're just, God so one, blessed us so wonderfully here with many different ministry gifts, and, uh, and we intended to utilize them more and more. Praise God. But we were, began a series several weeks ago on spirit, soul, and body. And I've taught this before. It's a good teaching. First uh, Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that, that we are composed of a spirit, a soul, and a body. And we're not going to go back all over that other than just to remind you that what that teaching is about is you're made of three parts. This is how God designed you. Just as God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are spirit, soul, and body. And your body is the obvious part of you. It's this physical thing that you're aware of and that you may be scratching right now or feels tired or hungry. Or It's the physical part of you. And, and we don't need to spend any time on that. And then there's the spirit part of you, which is the real part of you. And we spent a few, we spent one whole session actually talking about that the, the Bible talks about two different kingdoms or two different realms of existence. There's the spirit realm, which is the realm that God is, exists in. And it is an eternal realm. And then there's this natural material realm, which the Bible says in the beginning, this is what God created, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, all, and he created this material realm. And then we learn that your body, our body is from this material realm. It came from the dust of the earth, and when you're done with it, it returns to the dust of the earth until Jesus comes back and raises it from the dead and gives you a new immortal body. And, and that's the, so your body comes from this earth. 
and 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 but your spirit man comes from the king, comes from the other realm. And when you were born again, that's the part of you that changed. We talked about that last time. When you were born again, it's your spirit man that changed. The, your spirit man or woman is who you really are. It's your nature. Ephesians 2 talks about that before we came to Christ, we were by nature children of wrath, following the lusts of our flesh. Sinners sin because it's their, our, their nature to sin, and that's where we were. We sin because we want to sin. We enjoy sin. Once you're saved, your nature changes, but the memory of the sin's still there. <laughs> and your flesh still wants to do what it used to do. Now, I went through all of this because what we're going to begin to look at and focus on, the real purpose of all this, is to bear down and get a greater understanding of the spirit person that you are and learn how to walk in the spirit. And so, so, but you need to know the other parts of you so you can distinguish what's your spirit from what's your flesh. Oh, I almost forgot the third part of you, your soul. Your soul is the part that bridges or connects your body to your spirit because by their very nature they can't contact each other because the spirit realm cannot have a physical contact with this natural material realm unless God does something supernatural. And the same way this physical natural realm can't sense or touch the spirit realm because they don't, they don't, they don't have a contact with each other unless God does something supernatural. So your soul is the bridge between the two to connect the two together. And your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Basically, your personality. It's the conscious, conscience, conscience, it's the parts you're aware of. <laughs> I hope it's not going to be one of those days. <clears throat> it's the parts that you're aware of. And now we're, and we, and we, last time we talked about when you were born again, it was your spirit that God made new. And we talked about how Jesus was trying to explain that to Nicodemus because Nicodemus couldn't understand what it meant to be born again because he's thinking so, totally in terms of the physical body. He says, how can a man at my age go back into my mother's womb and come out again? And Jesus is saying, that which is born of the spirit of the, of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he talked a little bit about the difference between the two. All right, we've laid all that foundation. What we're going to begin to look at today is why this is so important to us. Again, there are many different directions we could go in, but there's really something that's in my heart as to why this is so important. Because the part of you that's the real you is your spirit man. And yet that's the part of us that by and large we're the least aware of. You're very much aware of your body. You're aware when it's tired. You're aware when it itches. You're aware when it's hungry. You're aware when it's, when, when, you know, whatever it feels pain. We're very much aware of it because we devote a lot of time to it. To get here this morning, you had to devote time to your body. Some of you, I can tell, devoted more than others. <laughs> But you devoted time to it, you know. It's, you know, rushing out the door, my goodness, my wife, you know, do I have my earrings on? Do I have my, you know, we're looking, do I have, you know, is everything set? Do I have my tie, you know, all this, you know. And, and we're all up tight. And we spend so little time conscious of the real us inside. And that's the part of you that's going to last forever. And so we need to be aware of it for that reason because we don't spend enough time building up aware of and living in contact with the real person on the inside that's going to live forever. And God's intention, God's plan, is that while we're walking on this earth, that He wants to develop that spirit man on the inside of you. 
Because when we leave this body and leave this earth, that spirit man and your soul are going to leave here together. And if you're in Christ, we're going to go to heaven and God's going to pick up the development when you get there. You understand when we get to heaven, we don't just sit on clouds, playing harps, sipping iced tea. You're going to have work to do, assignments to do. And some of us, when we get to heaven, are going to be so glad we just made it. <laughs> we don't care what the assignment is. <clears throat> some of us, some of you are going to get there and have to go through a new members class. <laughs> because you didn't allow the Holy Spirit to develop you. To develop you. I don't have time to get into all of this because there's many places where, where Jesus talked about if you're not faithful... If you're faithful with the, the, the things of this earth, which talks about money, it talks about time, if you're faithful with the things of this earth, then how can I entrust eternal riches to you? Which doesn't mean he won't down the line, but he's got to train you all over again. So what the things God's taking us, the lessons God wants you to learn, learn them now. Because I've got to tell you, God's persistent. Some of you may have gotten promoted from third to fourth grade because your teacher got tired of seeing you and says, let's give that to the fourth grade teacher. I'm tired of seeing them. As the pastor Sam used to say, they finally sent me from seventh to eighth grade because I was starting to shave. <laughs> but God won't do that. God will not move you up until you're ready to be moved up. And that's for our protection as well as it. Okay. Now, I said all that because we're going to begin to focus now on, on, on how, do we, how do we walk. This is, we're going to begin a, a new series called Walking in the Spirit. And what does that mean? Being led by the Spirit, what does that mean? Because we're going to see this from Scriptures this morning to talk about walking in the Spirit. But before we do, I want to look at why this is so important. Why is it so important that we become aware of who we really are, this spirit man, aware of what the Bible says God's built into us and then learn to walk in that. Why is that so important? Well, there's some basic things that as Christians that we are, know we're supposed to do that many of us think we're doing but only work a certain way. And one of them is just talking to God, prayer. The Bible tells us that God is a spirit. And the only way you can communicate with God is spirit to spirit. Those of you that were Trekkies, let me know what a Trekkie is. Star Trek, and you had Dr. I was not. You had Dr. Spock who would do this, was it mind meld? You know, he'd, he'd read your mind or something like that. Was that right? All right. It's like God doesn't do that. It's not a mental prayer. Is communicate, communion with God is not mind to mind. Because God is a spirit. So it's spirit to spirit. Worship. We've talked about this before. And I, there's a risk here of losing some of you in this because we, we have our own idea of what worship is. Worship is not a slow song. There's some slow songs that are praise and thanksgiving because there's three basic types of musical expressions to God. There's songs of thanksgiving, songs of praise, and then there's worship. And you can choose to be thankful. That's an act of our will. 
We can choose because thankful, thankfulness. I don't want to get off. I'm going to get off on this one. Thankfulness is basically expressing to God gratitude for what He's done for us. Praise is acknowledging to God who He is and what He's done. So there's a progression there. I will enter His course with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His gates with praise. Thanksgiving is looking at me and what God's done for me, and then praise is beginning to look at God and what He's done for me. You see the difference? But worship, we have to be brought into by the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus said, we spent a whole half a year on it several years ago. In John chapter 4, Jesus said, God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And He longs for those to worship Him. God longs for us to commune with Him, to, to, to relate to Him, to be in relationship with Him. That's why He created us to begin with. You understand, we didn't create ourselves and talk God into accepting us. God created us, which means He wanted you. I'll try that over here. <laughs> if God created you, if you're here, you're here because He wanted you. You didn't create yourself. And I got a shock for you. Your parents didn't either. They may have done what was necessary for your body to be created, but you were created by God. And if He created you, it's because He wanted you. And if He wanted you, it's because He loved you before you were even created. So you're not here by accident. You're here because God loves you and God wants you. And what God loves you and wants you for is to relate to Him. Is to enjoy your presence. Oh boy, there's so much... <laughs> Do you know God rejoices over you? Was it Zephaniah? Zechariah. 317. says God sings, uh, sings over you. He rejoices over you with singing. Zechariah 3.17. Look at this. Zephaniah. That's what I said. <laughs> it just came out the other way. Whatever way I said it was right. <laughs> Thank you, dear. <laughs> he rejoices over you. Imagine, get, get God. He's pleased with you. See, that begins to get in you and you don't need men to be pleased with you. When you're not God, that doesn't mean, we've got children, they don't always do things that are pleasing to us, but we're pleased with them. All of them have done things at times that weren't pleasing to us, but we're pleased with them. God's pleased with you. Because you're His. You need to think about that, meditate upon that. Because the more that gets real to you, the less you need peoples to approve of you. When you understand God approves of you. You're accepted in the Beloved. Ephesians chapter 1. But this is all in the spirit man. All in the spirit man. So we can only know God through the spirit. We can only commune with God through the spirit. We can only worship God through the spirit. And we can only accomplish 
what God's put us here to do through the Spirit. And that's the focus of where we're going to go. God has called us. There's so many Christians, and I have to be careful, I've caught myself as I'm going through this healing journey, saying, well, God, thank you, you, you I made it through another day. And the, wait, a minute, wait a minute, God's will is not for me to just make it through a day. So many Christians have the goal of survival. If I can just hold on long enough, Jesus is either going to come back and bail me out, or I'm going to pass on and go to heaven. I just need to get... But that's not why the church is here. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, Ephesians chapter 5 says. Glorious means overcoming. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning, and then we're going to begin to look at uh, uh, how this works. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is one of the great lessons that I'm learning, of learning as I'm going through what, what I'm going through. Now, Paul's writing a letter. This is a church, and I've shared with this before, that probably of all the churches that he, that he founded, huh, this is a church that was the most spiritual in one sense. If you were to come into one of their services, I mean, it was a wild, charismatic service. There were gifts of the Spirit operating all over the place. People were prophesying over one another. Miracles were taking place. I mean, it was the Spirit of God was manifesting Himself powerfully in this church. And so if you were to walk in with a natural understanding, a religious understanding, you would say, Wow! This church has got it going on. Ooh, ooh, John, be careful. You could go somewhere with this. You cannot judge the spirituality of a church by what you see on the outside. You cannot judge the spirituality, you cannot judge the spiritual health of a church by the number of people that come. It doesn't take much to attract a crowd. Spiritual maturity is on the inside not what's seen on the outside. So this is the church that on the outside had it going. I mean, it was, it was, it was miracles were taking place. Prophecies and all the, the gifts of the Spirit were operating in such power in this church that Paul had to address some things about it, not because of the power of how they were operating it, because of the heart that was behind that. And we don't have time to go into all of that, but we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people. In other words, you think you're spiritual, but I can't call you spiritual. But as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Now, you don't have to be around long to, to figure out that carnal is not a compliment. Notice carnal is in contrast to spiritual. And here again, often our idea of spiritual is things happening. Our idea of spiritual is miracles. Our idea of spiritual is things we can see, goosebumps when we sing in praise and worship. You know, all those things, we tend to think that's what spiritual is. And, and now remember what we're talking about. 
We're talking about this difference between the spirit on the inside of us and the flesh on the outside. And what Paul is saying is here in this discussion we're going to look at is you think you're being so spirit, you think you're coming out of the spirit person on the inside, but all that's happening is this is an operation of your flesh. Because flesh can look religious. In fact, religion is flesh. Now, by that I don't mean organized religion. It's religious ways of doing things. Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, the most religious people of their community, the traditions of men are making of no effect the Word of God. Satan can't stop the Word of God. Demons can't stop the Word of God. But the traditions of men can stop the Word of God from working in people's lives. Jesus, the only people Jesus got mad at were the religious leaders. Why? Because they put a barrier between God and His people. And religion, in the guise of drawing people closer to God, pushes people away from the real God. Because true religion is based on what my on flesh, on what I do, how things look. All the Pharisees cared about is what people thought about them. So they prayed, they fasted, they gave, but they did it to earn the approval of men. And when what we do, I did not intend to go here this morning, when what we do is to earn the approval of men, even our own approval, that's flesh. And that's religion. And it keeps us from knowing God. I was raised in church. And I am fighting to overcome traditions that were instilled in me. And some of you, many of you, were raised in a more, more traditionally bound churches than I was. But it gets instilled in you. And I'm convinced this is the biggest challenge in the church today to walking with the Lord is to learn to recognize religious traditions that have become part of our lives and to learn to walk in a real relationship with God. Jesus offended the religious leaders because he had a real relationship with God as his Father and it exposed the falseness of what they had. The only people that came against him were the religious people. Think about it. The religious leaders killed the Son of God. They couldn't recognize who He was. All right, I've got to rein this back in here again. So He says, you are, you, I could not call you spiritual people, but carnal and as babies in Christ. And they thought they were something else. Verse 2. I fed you with milk. What do you feed babies with? Milk. Not with solid food, because until now you're not able to receive it, and still you're not able to receive it. Verse 3. For you're still carnal. I'm going to explain to you what that means in a minute. For where there's envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal, and behaving 
like mere men. And this is what I want to get at. He said, you think you're spiritual, but you're carnal. Carnal means this. It just means walking in, dominated by our flesh. Governed by our flesh. Walking in our flesh. Living by the flesh. We measure things by the flesh. And by that I mean by our five senses. We determine what's real and what's not real by our five senses. Now understand this always. When you get out on 195 to go home, be governed by your senses. But when it comes to the things of God, your senses do not have the capacity to detect the things of God. That's why I spend time explaining to you that your flesh operates and determines what's real by our five natural senses. So you know whether or not that chair that you sat in was there, because first of all you could see it, one of the senses. Then you reached out and touched it, that's a second sense. And then you rested in it. So your, one or more of your five senses helped you determine that that chair was really there. Because that chair is of this natural material realm. So you need to use your senses to tell you what's real and what's not real in this natural material realm. But they are of no value. They are of no value to, to, to discerning or detecting whether something's real in the spirit realm. Because they can't detect it. It's like trying to drive home by smelling your way home. Get in your car. <clears throat> you put a blindfold over your eyes. <laughs> I'm not driving with you. <clears throat> because what you need to detect, your nose can't pick up. I've read it this way. If, one of, if somebody sitting next to you is wearing perfume, only your nose is going to tell you that they're wearing perfume. Your eyes can't tell you whether they're wearing perfume. Your ears, because your eyes are not designed to detect an odor. Your nose is. Your ears are not designed to detect an So you wouldn't expect, you wouldn't be looking to see, boy, she, sm she looks like she smells great. You wouldn't try to do that because you know instinctively that your eyes can't tell you whether somebody's wearing perfume or not. You would go, ah, that smell good. We all understand that. But when it comes to the things of God, we're trying to use senses that were never designed to pick up spiritual things to decide whether something's real. That's why faith is a sixth sense. It's a sense that God's put in your spirit to detect the reality of things in the spirit realm. Because only that sense can pick up what's real in the sense spirit realm because your eyes can't see it because it's not in this realm yet. Your ears can't hear it because it's not in this. But we're so sense-oriented that we see a promise of God and we immediately go looking with our eyes, touching with our hands. I'll give you a good example. Suppose in the beginning of the service I said, I really feel led to pray for the sick. 
and just had people stand and say, well, all right, right now I'm going, to speak, I'm going to pray over you. The Bible says that Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases. The Bible says if we believe and pray for the sick, they shall recover. Do you believe that? Yes. All right, I'm, we're now going to pray. You raise your hand, people come around, lay hands on you. All right, and then they stop. And what's the first thing you do? Oh, I can still feel it. Somebody just prayed a spiritual thing and you tried to verify it with a natural sense. That's carnal. That's being governed by my five senses. Now, whether to eat that milk that was, drink that milk that was in your refrigerator two weeks, you might want to smell it before you drink it. But to receive the promises of God, your nose can't help you do that. And your eyes can't help you do that. And so the problem comes when your senses are screaming at you, telling you it's not working, and yet the Word of God says He's done it. You have to choose which you're going to look at. And you can't look at through the five senses. So this is where we're going with this distinction between spiritual and carnal. We're not condemning anybody by saying, because we're all carnal in this sense. That's why we're not seeing more power of God operating. But notice the end of that. While you're being carnal, while you're govern, walking governed by your five senses, look how you're behaving like mere men. We hear this expression all the time and probably use it ourselves to kind of help justify ourselves. Yeah, but, you, you know, I'm only human. I'm struggling with this, God, you know, because I'm struggling to try to overcome this habit. But, under, God, you understand, I'm, I'm just human. Then you need to get saved. Because if you're saved, you're not just human. That's why we went over. Your soul's human still, your body's still human. Well, your body's still human. Your soul just has to be renewed to who you really are. That's why we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. But the real you was changed when you came to Christ. And we looked at that last time. It, it, you, you are literally, your spirit is joined to Christ. I looked that up since I taught that last time. It literally means one unit with not close to, next to, joined together. So your spirit, man, is joined together with Christ, which is why when God sees you, He sees Christ. Because He's not looking at the outer man. He's looking at the real you. This is why you can stand before Him holy and without blame, Ephesians 1.3. Because He's not looking at the outer you. He's looking at the who, who He made you to be, and who He made you to be is literally joined to and one with Christ, one spirit with Christ. That's who you really are. Is Christ a mere man? He's a man, but He's God-man. So if Christ is not a mere man, and that's what your nature is, then you're not a mere man either. But they're acting like a mere man. And one of the signs they're acting like we're men is their envy, jealousy, and strife. Those all come because we're insecure. The only reason people are envious of somebody else is they think they have something else that I ought to have.
strife. It's all self-based. Divisions. Dividing the body of Christ up. That's what was triggering this because some said, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus. They were dividing up the body of Christ. And Paul says, when you're doing this, you're acting like mere men, which the implication is we're not mere men. And this is the heart of this series. Because as a church, and I'm not just talking about FCC, we see ourselves as just mere men and women. We see ourselves, in essence, listen carefully, as a social club that comes together on Sunday morning instead of some social clubs that come together Saturday night. And whereas they imbibe of one spirit, we imbibe of a different spirit. But our whole purpose is to come together, and that is part of our purpose. But there's nothing beyond that. There's no power in this. What I want to look at, we're just going to get really started in this, what it means to, to, to who we really are and what God has put inside of us and why the church, because the church is here, and I'll tell you, this is where we're going with this, the church is here to overcome, not survive. Survival means I hang on with what I got, hoping I'm going to come through with something left over. Overcome means whatever's thrown my way, I conquer it. So I want to give you just a couple of scriptures. We could go through many. Uh, Let's go to Romans 8. And we'll come back to Romans 8 in another time and go through it in detail. But I want you to show where see where it ends up. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now he's going to list a bunch of bad things that can happen to you and have happened to the body of Christ at various times, some of which is happening to parts of the body right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long, persecuted. We're accounted as sleep, sheep, sleep, <laughs> as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Paul did not say in all these things, hang on, keep hanging on, because if you hang on long enough, you'll make it through. No, he said, whatever the devil throws at you, rejoice, because God's plan is that you are already more than a conqueror. We sang a song earlier, I almost came up here, it was exploding in me. Do you know what Jesus did for you? First John 3 says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, revealed, that He might destroy the works of the evil one. Well, was He manifest? Did He appear? Was He born? Okay. He destroyed the works of the evil one. Colossians chapter 2 says He made a public show of them, triumphing over them in Him. When the devil comes at you, ask Him to show you the keys to His kingdom because He doesn't have them anymore. Revelation, Jesus says, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He took them away from Satan. And the Bible says when you come to Christ, 
He transferred your kingdom. You've been Colossians 1.13. He transferred you from the dominion, the domain, the control of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. The part of you that transferred is your spirit man, the one who's on the inside of you. But if we're dominated by the flesh, the church is still living over here as if we're part of Satan's kingdom when the kingdom of God is in us. He is scared of you. Only three of you can see that. He is so scared you're going to find out who you really are in Christ. Which is why all He can do is throw trouble at you. And the trouble He can only throw at you is trouble in this life, in this realm. Because it's all He's got. We're not mere men. And women. We're sons and daughters of the living God. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us now. More than conquerors. More than conquerors. Jesus is the conqueror. We're more than conquerors. I've told this story before. It's not original with me, but I love it. It's like, uh, remember the Rocky movies? On and on and on and on and on. Well, there's one of them where he's married and, and, you know, he does all the training. He's out there doing the road work. He's punching the bags and he's, you know, and he goes to the fight and he gets beaten up the way he does, but he comes and he wins and he comes home with the paycheck, the purse walks in the door bandages all over himself and his wife says glad to see you won reaches out and takes the paycheck he's the conqueror she's more than a conqueror I suggest to you Jesus has stripes on his back Jesus was beaten so that he looked, his face looked almost not like a man. He was beaten physically, then he was beaten spiritually. And when the victory was won, he came and handed the paycheck to his church. So we're more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. You're not mere men. We're not mere men. We're not mere women. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 18. He's just asked people, the disciples, who do, who do people say that I am? And... and um, their answers, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're the prophet. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter opens up and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't show you that, but my Father who's in heaven showed you that. And then he goes on to say, and Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The rock is the revelation of who Christ is. 
On this rock I will build, I will build, I will build, I will build, I will build. Not FCC's five-year program. Not, not, you know, not, not, not all our programs and all our designs. Not the wonderful new stage we got. Not all the, Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, if we try to build our church, that's not his church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That doesn't sound like the church is meant to survive. It's meant to overcome. And then look at this, verse 19. And I will give to you the keys of the, of the kingdom of heaven, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying, I'm going to give to you the authority here, my authority I'm giving you here. That whatever you do in my name here, whatever you do in my name here, I will back it up in the spirit realm. So when you bind the devil here in my name, in the spirit realm, I'm enforcing what you do. You understand there's a difference between authority and power? We have a course here on spiritual authority which goes into this. But when you go to work tomorrow and your normal route and there's some construction going on and there's a person in a blue uniform with maybe a red jacket on and they put their hand up like that to stop you. Your vehicle weighs, weighs somewhere between two and 3,000 pounds and has somewhere between two and 300 horsepower or whatever. That police officer does not have the power to stop you. If you decided to run them over, you can run them over. But the reason you don't run them over is because you know behind that blue uniform there's a power to come and arrest you and throw you in jail for running over one of their police officers or just disobeying them. So the police officer has the authority of the government to tell you what to do, but he doesn't have the power in himself to carry it out. But the reason that authority works is because we all understand that behind his authority is the power of the government because the power is the ability to enforce. Authority simply commands it. So the church has been given Christ's authority in the earth and he backs it up with his power in the heavenlies. Which is why, which is why, so much is going off of me right now, which is why Ephesians chapter 6, somewhere around verse 11 or 12, says that, that, the, that, the, that the sword of the Spirit, talking about spiritual warfare, it's the only offensive weapon listed in there. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God on our lips. Because when we speak the Word of God in a situation, we authorize the angels of God to go take their sword and enforce the Word of God. <clears throat> But when we speak what we see, oh, oh, I'm so tired today, I'm never going to make it. Do you understand there's somebody listening to you? There's two listening. There's you and the devil. And you're encouraging him. Instead of saying what you see, say what the Word of God says about it. Speak what the Word of God says about it. Say, well, that's lying. No, God does that. He calls things to be not as though they were. That's just agreeing with God. That's what confession means. It means to agree. It literally means in the Greek, say the same thing as. Homologio. Okay. All right. So this is what God wants the church. This is why the church is here. We're here to reach souls 
but we're only going to effectively reach souls with the power of God operating. We're not going to effectively reach souls if we're spending our whole time just trying to survive. And that's where most Christians are. We're trying to survive, and when we're trying to survive, we're not doing what we're here to do. So the best defense is a good offense, but you can't do that in your flesh, and this is where we fail. We get into situations. This is where I'm really having to, to learn again things I've learned before. You see a situation and you get, you get upset about it. Maybe it's somebody that you care about that's sick and you just launch into prayer or you just you know, go right after it. In many cases, we're doing that in our flesh. We're, we're, we're moved with compassion about a situation. So instead of listening in here, God, what do I do? We just take what we think ought to be done and try to exercise our spiritual authority in that direction instead of having God behind it by doing what He says to do. Now, there's some situations that are urgent and you have to do it that way. But in many cases, we just need to pull aside and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? But here's the key. In order to do any of this, we have to learn to be more sensitive to the spirit that's on the inside of us than the natural world that's on the outside of us. Because what happens is we see something, we hear something, we feel something, we taste something, and we, our mind begins to run with it, and we react to that as if that's the truth. As I shared with you before, I walked out of the doctor's office on February 3rd, and the doctor gave me a report I, didn't want, I never thought I was going to hear, and I heard and hear so clearly, because I've learned to listen. I'm not perfect in this. I heard and hear these words. Cancer is not your enemy. Fear is your enemy. And you can overcome the fear. See, God's Spirit was already answering me the thoughts that were coming up here. And you've got to learn to listen to that, which means we've got to learn to be more conscious, more aware, and more sensitive to the Spirit person on the inside of us and not be so easily moved by what's going on around us. And we're going to look at stories of some people that were on both sides of that, that that in the middle of a crisis were moved by what they saw and failed, and other people that were not moved by what they saw, what their senses told us, but were moved more by the Word of God. And the greatest example of this is Jesus. No matter what happened around him, it didn't move him. His first sermon at home was so well received they were going to throw him off a cliff and stone him to death. And Jesus wasn't moved by that. He just walked through them. And they were just in awe of that and they didn't do what they planned to do. Nothing moved him or stopped him except what the Father was showing him to do in here. Because Jesus is the greatest example. He lived in the Spirit. He was aware of the world around him, but he lived dominated by. He lived governed by. He walked in the Spirit. So we're going to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit, what it means to be led by the Spirit, so that we can become aware, much more aware, of the Spirit man, woman, on the inside of us, so we can walk in that. And here's what the goal is, and we'll end with this. God has called each of us to overcome. As a church, he's called us to overcome. But in his individuals, he's called you to overcome. He's equipped you to overcome. Overcome what? First of all, sin. There are many Christians that are just dominated by certain sins in their life. And if you read through Romans 6, you'll find out you've already overcome that. 
Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, you're under grace. Dominion means control. Whatever that sin is that you seem to be battling over and over again, the Word of God tells you you already have the victory over it. You already have the victory. Now, see, there's some people that have trouble receiving this because they don't want to. Because as long as I think I'm a mere person, now I have an excuse. Well, I'm just human. That's why I can't overcome this. Because the problem with the gospel is it confronts us. It removes our excuses. See, many of us, and I've, got, I've had to learn to deal with this sometimes, because, you know, how are you doing? Well, uh, you know, you, we want people's sympathy sometimes. We want to be stroked and have attention paid to us because it feels good to our flesh. But you've got to choose between having your flesh stroked and being free. Because you can't have both. You can't, you can't have people feel sorry for you and be free because people don't feel sorry for people that are free and victorious. They may admire them, but they don't feel sorry. So if you want sympathy, you're never going to be free. So it starts with, what do you want? That's why Jesus would often ask people, well, it was obvious what they needed, what do you want? Blind men will come to him. What do you want from me? Oh, duh. <laughs> but Jesus wanted to hear from them what they wanted. And so, so we're going to learn how to be sensitive to our spirit. Because God, you have, you have been called to overcome sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Some of you are in bondage to pornography. Some of you are in bondage to, to all kinds of things like that. And you, you can be free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But if you think all i got to do is hold on and survive and just get through another day, you've got the wrong goal in mind. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. But that victory comes from the inside out. Flesh, our flesh. We're to have dominion over our flesh, not our flesh have dominion over us. Fear. Fear should never have dominion over us. We're to have dominion over fear. God's not given us a spirit with fear. So we're to have overcome our flesh, sin, the devil. He's no match for you. He's a defeated foe. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, not because he is one. He's imitating one, seeking whom he may devour. That's not a position of strength. That means he's pretending to be a lion to scare you so that he can trick you into giving him to letting him devour you. And since he doesn't have teeth, he has to gum you. I'll end with this. I learned this just the other day. In a lion pride, a group of lions, the males don't do the hunting. What they do is they'll, they'll gather at a certain location and the females will go out around the back of this herd of wildebeest or whatever it is. And at the right moment, what the lions, do, the males do, because they have this deep, powerful voice, they'll let out this horrible roar. And the roar, the sound of that roar, scares the wildebeest. And they, listen carefully, they run away from the roar, but when they run away from the roar, they run into the female lions. 
So when Satan roars at you, he's trying to get you to react. So when you react, you'll fall into his trap. So what do you do? You run to the roar. You run at the roar. You run at the roar. You run at the roar. Well, we need to bring this to a close. Well, this is kind of the introduction to where we're going. We're going to get, give you kind of a preview. We're going to look in Galatians chapter 5 because it talks about walking in the Spirit and how that overcomes your flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, then you'll, you're, not, you're not under the law. You walk in the Spirit, then you're... Then, yeah, we don't have to go there right now. You won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. We're going to look in Romans chapter 8. talks about the Spirit and how God's given us the Spirit to overcome, not to fight with the weapons of our flesh. But that's where we're going with this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your faithfulness, your love, and your goodness. Lord, we have so much to learn. We come to you because we want to acknowledge to you that in different degrees, we've all, to, to one degree or another, been led and dominated by our flesh. Some cases, we've done it out of ignorance. We didn't know that we really were a spiritual person and that we could, that spirit person on the inside could be so strong we could walk without being even aware that we even have a body. And so, Father, we ask you to come and meet us where we are. Father, help take the word that we've heard this morning, the seed that's been planted in our heart, the hope that's been put before us, and begin to water it, Father. Water it by your Spirit. Water it with scriptures that come to our mind. Begin to water this seed that it may begin to grow in our hearts. Holy Spirit, take what we've heard. Take what we've heard. And open the eyes of our understanding that we may see the hope of your calling for our life. It's in Christ Jesus. And for this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.